0: Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares.
1: Appreciate the beauty, the powerful, attractive beauty of a generous life, because that's really what I'm talking about. If I talk about be a good person out there at work in your neighborhood, you should be known as a good Christian. I want to be more specific in that. Cut this pie down into this slice. I'm talking about today generosity. That is a particularly powerful, foundational virtue that demonstrates the love of God.
0: Welcome to Focal Point. There are a lot of stereotypes about Christians these days, both good and bad. But what would people say about you? Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares opens the Bible and looks at a woman who was a wonderful example of Christian generosity and her impact on others. We're in Acts chapter 9, verse 36, with the story of an early influencer named Tabitha. Now here's Pastor Mike with today's message titled, The City of Joppa, Prepared by a Godly Example.
1: Hey Christians, what do non-Christians think of you? What do they think of us? I'm sure you've heard, it ain't all that good. <laughs> they, they don't think too highly of you. They use words like narrow-minded and arrogant and, uh, of course, hypocritical, that's a popular one. They don't think highly of you, and really they use a lot of words that are very ugly words to describe the bride of Christ. And while I know it's not entirely true what they say about you, I know it is their assessment and it is our reputation. And that makes it really hard when we think about what we've been studying in the book of Acts. I mean, why would anyone want to join our group? Uh, when they think that we are this uh, group of narrow-minded and arrogant and, and hypocritical people? I mean, who really would want to be converted to Christ than have to come here and be a part of this thing when they think so poorly about us and see us in such ugly terms? That's a good question, and if you ponder that question, you might... Uh, well, you can do a couple of things. One is you can just get really discouraged, like, well, I don't know, and that's why I'm not, I don't even try. I don't try. I'm not interested in talking about my Christianity with anyone because it's always a bad thing, and they've got all these misconceptions about us, and we just give up. Or you get, like, ensconced in your bitterness, like they think that we're an ugly group, and you become kind of ugly in your attitude about it all. Well, that's them. They're lost, and they don't get it, and, and, we, and that's, that's what you do. It's a, it's a negative, pessimistic kind of perspective. I'd like to remind you that that's not Christ's perspective. He had a different approach to all of this. Matter of fact, he had an ingredient that if uh, rightly employed could could really overcome. It's not an insurmountable problem, the problem of our bad reputation. And it's not that there's something that we can immediately do that will overturn the entire culture's reputation of the church. But we can overturn that reputation like one person at a time, one co-worker at a time, one neighbor at a time. That, that can happen, but we have to be optimistically engaged in what Christ said would fix the problem. And in churches, it seems that God often puts people in churches, outstanding people that make that point, that demonstrate this ingredient in a way that becomes a, an ingredient in the conversion of other people that say, I, I want to join that group. And, and I'm, I'm not saying that in the passage we're about to study, it's the only ingredient. The passage that we're studying today at the end of chapter 9 in the book of Acts, it really couples with the passage we just studied last time we were together when we looked at what was going on in Lydda and we saw that demonstration of God's power. A paralytic was healed. And you're going to see something even more remarkable in this passage. But there is a new ingredient added in this passage, and it is a key ingredient. Where the passage ends, much like in In Lydda, there was a mass conversion of people in the town, and there will be a mass conversion in this town about 12 miles to the west on the Mediterranean coast in a town called Joppa, and that town is going to have a massive outbreak of new Christians. And there is a character in the center of all this that becomes the object not only of this great miracle, but is a testament to something that Christ said, if you have this, if you work at this, if you demonstrate this, you know what? uh, People can start to change their opinion about who we are. One person at a time, one coworker at a time, one neighbor at a time. So I want you to look at this text and find in it a solution for us as we think about our Christian lives. And we know that right now we are besmirched, we are ridiculed, we are slandered, and uh, most people, if you were to lead with, hi, my name is Mike, I'm a Christian, I follow Christ, I read the Bible, I stand for the scriptures, that that you you just know what's going to come with that. Now, I I just want to say, I think we should lead, maybe with not that identical sentence, but we should lead with the fact that we are followers of Christ. They need to know that right up front. People should get that sense in a lot of things, but particularly with the words that come out of your mouth your association with the church, just like all these people in Joppa, you know, had their Joppa Bible Church sticker on the back of their donkeys, right? And it was, they were clearly identifying themselves with the church. But this one person that I want you to look at as we get to the bottom of the chapter, starting in verse 36, I I want us to see her as a template for what you and I need to, to work on. Because not only is it a key ingredient in the continued growth and church planning efforts of this church, but it is something as you look back at your testimony, and I'll challenge you to do this in your small groups this week. If you look back in your testimony, there, there was someone like her that I'm sure was there in your testimony. Rarely you just kind of think Christians are a bunch of jerks, but you go in the closet, find a Bible, and become a Christian. Right? God uses people, and he uses people as a bridge, as a tool to change your thinking about God, about Christ, about, about the realities that we're talking about in our doctrine, but the, the life speaks loudly as well. And so let me introduce you to this gal. I'm sure you've read about her before, if you know your Bibles, but let's read it. I'll read it for you in the English Standard Version, verses 36 through 43. Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. We wouldn't want to call her that today, I'm sure. It's not in the baby book names, you know she's going to be mercilessly criticized in junior high for that. Tabitha, by the way, is Hebrew. It's an Aramaic version of the Hebrew language. Dorcas is the Greek word that is the same word as Tabitha in Greek. It's also Latin, identical. We'll get to that in a minute. But here's the description of her. She was full of good works and acts of charity. Full of good works and acts of charity. Um, the demonstration of what she has that we want to drill deeper into this morning is something that Jesus said when he says, you know I'm great, you know I'm king, you know I'm, I'm, I'm altogether what everyone should want. And he says, you know, you'll, you'll make a difference in this culture. Mike Fobar's paraphrase. They'll know you're my disciples. They'll, they'll know that you're connected with something good if you have love. Love for one another, and that love should spill out outside of the church as well, which is what that phrase, acts of charity, is really pointing to. Well, of course, there's going to be a demonstration of power, and we looked at that last week, and you should go back and listen to that message if you weren't here, because we're not going to take time to emphasize that, at least in the application of the sermon, the way we did last week. But the idea is that she is going to die and be resurrected, which is a huge demonstration of God's power. In those days, verse 37, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, which they traditionally did before, they usually wrapped them in spices and put them in a crypt or a tomb or in the ground, they laid her instead in an upper room. Since Lydda, where we were last week, about 11, 12 miles away, was near Joppa, and today, by the way, Lod is where the airport is, Ben Gurdian Airport, and we go about 11 miles to Tel Aviv. These are the modern day cities. If you go with us to Israel next time we go, next summer, Lord willing, it was nearby. The disciples, hearing that Peter was there, Peter's the senior pastor of the megachurch in Jerusalem, he's also an apostle, he was also there as a part of Jesus's ministry. I mean, he's, he's a big, big guy, big gun. They said, well, we got the big gun here, and he's just, you know, a few hours away. They sent two men urging him, please come to us without delay. We got a, we got a body, a corpse in an upper room, and she's dead and we'd like you to come. So this is going to take a few hours to get there, going to take a few hours to get back on foot, but would you come right now? Verse 39. So Peter rose and he went with them. And when they arrived, they took him to the upper room and all the widows stood beside him weeping. And they were showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and he knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Verse 41, and he gave her his hand and raised her up, then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Mind-boggling, mind-blowing, the only resurrection we have Peter only two in Acts. I mean, this is huge. It's a big deal. These a really rare in the Bible less than 10. This is a big big deal. Obviously. And it became known, as it would become known if we had a resurrection at a funeral here. It became known all throughout Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. That word, by the way, if you think back to where we ended the last pericope, that last historical reference to what was going on in Lod or in Lydda, it talk about people, epistrepha, we, it, turning to the Lord. We talk about repentance and faith around here all the time. Those are the two commands in response to the gospel. And that little pericope ended with that idea that they turned to the Lord, a ton of people in Lydda. Now we have believed, right? They believed in the Lord. This is great. This is meant to be read together. As a matter of fact, it's also read to be an echo of what Christ did in telling that paralytic in his ministry to take up your mat and walk and then pulling all those people out of that room. Remember when you had that... Jairus' daughter, that 12 year old that had died, and, and, and same thing, little girl, r- r- arise, and she did. And she, he presents her alive to those that were watching. So Peter stays in Joppa, this town, for many days with one Simon the Tanner. Here is a gal that the people love so much in their church. They thought if there's any chance that that apostle there, the senior pastor down there in that huge church and that person that hung out with Christ could come and do something that Christ did, we want her back. And, and so they rushed to get him. He comes back and she's risen from the dead. But I want to talk about this gal and what she had that I, ha- I have to think played into to this whole narrative of a town turning to the Lord. That they were ready for this demonstration of the power of God, and they they were apt to hear it because they had a life that was demonstrating this love that Christ kept saying would be a demonstration and a characteristic of a real transformative virtue in your life that would change people's opinion of you guys. Oh, well, the power of God's going to change their opinion. Well, that's true, right? But this whole group of people is prepared by this life. This life, by the way, I talk about the word Tabitha and the word Dorcas, uh, they both translate the word, if you haven't looked in your reference Bible there already, it translates the word gazelle, the gazelle. The gazelle, we don't grow up in the country here, but uh, a gazelle, you know, is this very graceful looking animal, deer looking animal, and, and, and it's known in scripture, it's, it's usually employed verbally in scripture to demonstrate something beautiful, something graceful. In the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, Solomon talks about his his bride's body, and I won't get any more specific than that, you can look it up. Uh, as as a gazelle, right? She's she's a beautiful woman, graceful woman. It's an act of, of of beauty. Well, there's something beautiful about Tabitha. Now, when Tabitha was given the name by her parents, I'm sure her parents didn't know what kind of form or shapeliness or beautiful hair or face that she would have, but. Um, The good news is that when they named her this animal that was known for beauty and grace, she ends up growing up to be a beautiful woman. Uh, Though Luke gives us no description of what she looked like, we know she's beautiful in some very specific biblical way, a category of scripture that I'm saying to you, there was probably someone in your past that demonstrated this kind of beauty. And you need to know how beautiful this kind of, of life is and how impactful that beauty can be. And I want to look at those two words here, those two phrases, and, and just show you what that is. So to drill down, instead of saying, just be a beautiful person, what are we talking about? Looking back up in, in verse number 36, we have Dorcas, the, the gazelle, Tabitha gazelle in, in Aramaic or in Greek. She was full of these two things, good works and acts of charity. Good works and acts of charity. That phrase, good works, usually used to describe the way we interact with one another. Can be used outside of the churches as well, but the, the love that we have and the demonstration of the work that we show to one another in good and positive ways. We come together and we spur one another on, the writer of Hebrews says, to love and good deeds, good works. I mean, that, that's, that's great. We want people in our church to maximize the fruitfulness. We want them to bear that kind of fruit, you know, 30, 60, 10fold. And there's also that sense then of that expression of that working love that is demonstrated outside of the church, acts of charity. Okay, I don't know what you're thinking. Well, she gave a lot of excess furniture to Salvation Army. No, that's not what she did. Look down where we go to see some examples of it. It says there in verse 39, when he arrived, he was taken up to the upper room, and all the widows, those are gals in need, right? They don't have husbands anymore, stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with him. So she is giving of herself not just giving them a Kohl's card and saying, hey, here's 25 bucks, go buy yourself a blouse, but she's sitting there with the weaver's spindle, and she's, she's making clothing for people. That is an amazing thing. Someone's in need, she meets that need, and she's working. She, I even like that phrase, good, not good deeds, but good works, right? She's working to show this kind of love within the church. She's showing that love outside of the church, And I'm just saying that's a foundational thing, and it's a beautiful thing. And you need to see, if you're taking notes, number one, the power of that. Appreciate the beauty, the powerful, attractive beauty of a generous life, because that's really what I'm talking about. If I talk about be a good person out there at work in your neighborhood, you should be known as a good Christian. I want to be more specific in that. Cut this pie down into this slice. I'm talking about today generosity. That is a particularly powerful foundational virtue that demonstrates the love of God. When we think about the love of Christ that we're supposed to demonstrate, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, You know, it, it, Christ came and he gave his life for us. Then he says, we ought to. If he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And then he says in the next verse, if you see your brother in need and, and you, don't, you don't meet it, you close your heart against that person, how can the love of God exist in you? So here is a gal that is loving the way God would love, and she's doing it sacrificially, generosity. Now, you sit back, you hear the pastor telling you, hey, we need to be generous Christians inside the church and outside of the church. Just like you probably had a generous person that was some kind of of, of maybe paradigm-breaking personality that you thought, well, I guess not all Christians are hypocrites and arrogant and and, and narrow-minded. This person's loving me, caring for me, generous toward me, and they, they broke the mold. I'm just saying, when you think about that, the pastor just exhorted you, okay, be a generous person. Be that beautiful person to people around you. I wonder how you respond to that. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty generous. If I got up here and I said this, hey, I just want to tell you how generous I am. Compass 2020, i are going to talk a little bit about it next time. Two years ago, a pastor got up and talked about 2020, church planting churches and uh, establishing ourselves here for the next 20 years and building the CBI and all that. It was going to take money, and so the pastor talked about money. So um, you know, I got really generous. I gave $30,000 to, to the Compass 2020 fund gave $30,000 to them. Oh, and by the way, you want to talk about my generosity? I had this thing I got in the mail about this great soup kitchen up in Santa Ana, and and I just saw they had a need. I I wrote them a check for a thousand bucks, and then I realized, got to know some missionaries here in our church, and I sent $2,000 over to their missions organization because I thought, I just want to support them. There was a family in my small group, and they, were, they kind of fell on some hard times. They just knew they, they talked about things were tight. I wrote them a check for 1000 bucks. So I just testified to you, I, I gave $34,000 away the last couple years just because I'm a generous guy. Now, if that would impress you, okay, uh, you'd need to know more. Because if I said, well, I, I just want to let you know, uh, when it comes to numbers like this, I uh, also uh, inherited $800 million from my uh, in-laws um, two years ago. So when the pastor started talking about Compass 2020, I was like, ready. Johnny on the spot, 30, 30 grand right there, bam. And I gave that 1000 bucks to that soup kitchen, and I gave 2000 bucks to the missionaries, and I gave 1000 bucks to that family in my small group. Ha! Now, do you think I'm generous now? You don't think I'm generous? Why? Because that's ready? 0.00004% of my windfall. Right? That's like you, if you got 80 grand in the bank, you're giving three cents. Okay, uh, Compass 2020? Yeah, I got you right here. <laughs> not going to affect your lunch, not going to affect your, your summer vacations. not going to affect anything for you to give three pennies away. So you wouldn't think I'm generous, but let's just go back through those numbers. If I said to you this, hey, you know what? I heard the pastor talking about 2020 church planning, missions work, educating people, CBI. Uh, I wrote a check for $30,000 this last week to go to that. That was the the net proceeds on the extra job that I took on when I heard the pastor say all this, and so I've been delivering pizzas for the last two years, and I saved every bit of that from that job, and I've just been doing it at nights, and sometimes on Saturday mornings, and people eat pizza on Saturday, Saturday nights after the service. I've been delivering those pizzas, and so I made 30 grand, and I just wrote that check to Compass 2020. Oh, and... You know, I, I learned from my dad some great plumbing skills, and I'm not so bad at it. And I, I just kept my ear open. And in the last two years, I've had like three families have some serious plumbing problems, and I know how expensive it is. So I've gone over to their house, and I've gotten under their kitchen sink, and I, you know, went through and got my snake out. Went out. I, I, I've worked on uh, three people solved their serious plumbing problems. It took me hours. I mean, one night I was at this place for uh, till one in the morning. My neighbor lost her husband, and. I just know she's too elderly to cut her lawn. So uh, every two weeks for the last two years, I've been cutting my neighbor's lawn, just going out there and just keeping the, the, the lawnmower up to speed and buying gas for it, making sure it's got oil. I've been doing that for two years. And then I got another guy around the corner, and they got two kids, and unexpectedly, they were surprised, surprised, I got a third kid on the way, and, you know, my kids are now, you know, pretty much up and out, so uh, we took our our Honda Odyssey, and uh, I just signed the pink slip over to them, because they didn't have a car, and so I I gave them that. Yeah, I might have, you know, 10, 12, 15,000 bucks in the bank, but I did all of those things. Now, if I ask, what what do you think of that? I think you'd say that's way different. Same $34,000. But one of them cost me nothing. Literally zero zero four percent of my wealth. The other one cost me a lot. Cost me sleep, cost me effort. I didn't get as much time in front of my Netflix show. I, I, I ended up, you know, having all kinds of, of calluses on my hands. I, you know, all the nights I could have been watching what I want to watch or doing what I want to do. I was delivering pizzas. You'd say, well, that's, that's, you might even say this, that's a beautiful thing you've done. That's really a beautiful thing you've done. You mean you just signed the pink slip over? Yeah, did that. Besides me telling you about that from the platform, none of this is true, by the way. That would be a beautiful thing wouldn't be a thing to boast about. It'd be a thing to say, wow, that's a, that, that's a Barnabas kind of thing. Because when Barnabas saw that the church was in need early on, he saw people had needs and they couldn't meet it. And he said, well, I can't meet it either, but I got an asset. I got some real estate. I'm going to sell that real estate. I'm going to liquidate that. I'm going to bring it, lay it at the apostles' feet and say, please meet the needs in the church. Barnabas was that kind of guy. Tabitha was the kind of girl that could see a widow, who could no longer provide new clothes for herself, saw a shabby tunic on her and said, Wait a minute, let me stay up and make this happen.
0: You're listening to Focal Point with pastor and Bible teacher Mike Fabares and a message titled, The City of Joppa, prepared by a godly example. Pastor Mike will be back in just a moment, so keep listening. And remember, you can hear this message when you go to our website, focalpointradio.org. Here on Focal Point, our goal is to explore the depths of Scripture, to gain a deeper knowledge of our Savior and how to follow Him. And we're glad to have you along, whether you listen on radio, online, or through our podcasting or app. But it's only possible thanks to listeners who donate to this ministry. Will you join them today? Your gift truly makes a difference. When we all come together and do what we can, we can do so much more than we could do on our own. So here's the number to call, 888-320-5885, or give online at focalpointradio.org. You might also consider joining our team of monthly supporters called Focal Point Partners. As a partner, your regular support allows us to plan for the future with confidence. Sign up to become a Focal Point partner today by calling 888 320 or go online to focalpointradio.org. And when you give this month, we'll say thanks by sending you A.W. Tozer's book titled Men Who Met God: 12 Life-Changing Encounters. Now, here's Pastor Mike with a special invitation. Mike? Pastor Mike Fabar is here. You know, God created the world for His children
1: to enjoy and to help you worship Him in His creation. I'm going to invite you to join me for a seven-day Alaskan cruise coming up in the summer of 2024. We're going to study the Bible together, and we're going to worship with a Grammy Award winner named Keith Hancock. We're going to visit the beautiful, majestic scenery of God and His creation, so don't wait to book your spot. Visit focalpointministries.org
0: slash alaska. Thanks, Pastor Mike. To make your plans to cruise to Alaska, go to focalpointministries.org slash Alaska. Well, I'm Dave Druey, inviting you back again tomorrow when Pastor Mike continues our study on the city of Joppa. That's Thursday, right here on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here.
1: Ever wish you could corner your pastor and challenge him with your toughest questions about the Bible, about faith? Well, now you can. Send me your questions. Head on over to FocalPointRadio.org and click on Ask Pastor Mike. Or send me a note on Facebook.com slash
0: Pastor Mike or Twitter.com slash Pastor Mike. I can't wait to hear from you. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.